Anyone else watching your lawn grow by the centimetre? I think we mowed it Wednesday, it needs mowing again now, but I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. Let it rain. And all the dams are full. All the bridges are um, above the water again now, so it's all good. It's all good. Can I just mention one thing from last week? Um, we handed everyone one of these pledge cards. And um, at the start of the year, we like to do this. But it's a little bit different this year. Um, usually, we would have two sorts of voluntary giving um, above our tithes. Um, extra to our tithes, I should say. And um, usually, it's heart for the house. We used to call it oxygen at one stage, which goes towards servicing our loans, making sure that we've, you know, our lights are on, um, servicing the building, doing all that sort of thing. And um, also, we would also take up a pledge for our mission giving, our frontiers giving, for what we do overseas. And we've been doing enormous stuff overseas, which is great. Praying about it at the end of last year, and I really felt um, our missions giving really is going towards what our church is doing overseas. And so it's us. We're giving to us. It's a bit like our heart for the nation giving that goes towards our buildings, but also the rents for our other churches in Springwood and Penrith and everything they need as well and, and our future church plants, um, which we're praying to be able to do another one this year, which would be fantastic. And I thought, why don't we just combine all that giving? Rather than having two pledges, why not have one? So I'm hoping I explain this. I actually wrote an email out this week which explained it a lot greater. And um, if, you, if you're thinking, oh, I'm still a bit confused, just email me. I'll send you a copy of that email to you. And, um, but I'm going to ask you, could you please pray about this? As a church, we believe tithing is giving or paying God what is his, the first 10% of what he's actually given you. And, um, but seed giving comes after the tithes. And if you feel as though you're able to do that, I'm going to, pray, I'm going to ask you to pray. And what would, are you able to do this year? And could you just jot it down and put it in the box over the next few weeks at the back of the auditorium here, just so that we know how to budget, just so that we know where we're going, just so that we can say to Ben and Theta, who'll be back this week, but when they get back to Cambodia, you can do this, you can do that. We can say to Uton and Meanset, who are over there at the moment, you can do this or you can do that. Is that cool? So what used to be our heart for the nation and what used to be our frontiers, we're going to all just bring it in together and we're going to just call it frontiers. Is that cool? Is that clear as mud? Clear as the Nepean River right now? That's really cool. Well, last week I started the uh, theme for the year, name the year, going deeper, stretching wide. And I believe the Lord is asking us to stretch wide. Yes, we're going to see the kingdom expand. We're going to take back some ground. We're going to start taking back the nations of the world. Let me tell you, I love what God's doing in Cambodia, and I believe it's going to expand even greater this year. But I love what God's doing here. There's a very real chance that we'll have a good crack at planting another church up in the Woodford, Hazelbrook area this year. Talking to Judah and Megan about it, and they're very excited, and they've actually got a strategy laid out. And I think as of today, they're actually starting to implement that strategy, which is really cool, don't you think? There could be four of us here in Australia, four, four churches. But that's not the end of it. There's other places. There's places all around the Hawkesbury here. You stretch over into Marsden Park there. My goodness, there's a whole new world over there now. What if we planted a church there? I think about for Penrith Church to have their eyes on what they call the Aerotropolis, which is pretty well between Penrith and Campbelltown, that whole area there which is going to explode with people who need a church. So 
I want us to keep thinking about that. We're going to stretch wide. But in order to stretch wide, you've really got to go deep first. And that's what I shared last week. If you want to get the podcast of that, please do. But I really felt to start this year off up until Easter with a theme called Lift Up Your Eyes to prepare for this year, to get us ready for going deep. And um, today I want to share a word which I really prayed about. I thought, you know what? I think this is where to start about lifting up your eyes. Today's message is lift up your eyes and see who you are. See who you are. You're not just a mistake. No matter what your parents said about your conception, you are not a mistake. No, no matter what your parents said growing up saying, oh, well, I wish you were this, wish you were... It doesn't matter. That's regardless. You, today I want to tell you who you are, who God says you are. At the very beginning, he made Adam and Eve with the whole plan of this. I want to create people who represent me. This is God speaking. Who represent God. I want them to be my family. And I want them to cover the world. I want this beautiful Garden of Eden to stretch around the world. And that's going to be their job to make Garden of Eden stretch around the world. And fill it with my family. Wow. Well... Man has a way of stuffing things up, as they did. You read about the Noah story, they stuffed up. You read about the Babel story, they stuffed up. God starts again with Abraham, again a family. And I'll keep repeating this. He picks a man and a woman who couldn't have children to have a family, to start his families with. Just like God, isn't it? Against the odds. No matter where you are, he can do anything in your life. And he does. Abraham, Sarah, they have nations. And as Christians, we are, we are children of Abraham. We are part of that promise. The interesting thing about it is this. I think most churches, when we realise about the whole creation, we love the whole forgiveness of sin thing, which Jesus did because he died on the cross and, and that's all dealt with. But we really don't understand who we are in that. Or we forget about who we are. And I want to share that with you today. And um, we're going to turn to... Revelation chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, but it'll be up on the screen, I think. Yes, my email got through, that's great. I, I'm making you lazy, aren't I? You know, really, I used to have to bring my Bible and try and... He's reading from a different translation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. You probably have read this before. Behold, Jesus speaking, I stand at the door knock and knocking... If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open up the door within, I will come into you and feast with you and you will feast with me. And to one who overcomes, I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne. Wow. Just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. Let's read that again. Behold, I stand at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come in and you will feast. You and I will feast together. And I will feast with you. You will feast with me. Many of us have read that, but have you ever read this next verse? And to the one who conquers, the word conquer there could be continues this until the end. That's really the true translation. Continues this until the end. I will give the privilege of sitting with me on my throne. Wow. Another way of saying that is, I'll give you the privilege of ruling with me. Jesus speaking. 
I think it's hugely significant because the whole intention of God when he created mankind was that they would represent him. That's pretty interesting. Let us make man and woman in our image, the Bible says. That image is actually translated representative, as our representatives. In fact, I'll go on as far as to say that God's intention for mankind was to rule with him on planet Earth. Wow. You're a ruler. You actually are created to rule. And he's saying here, I want you to rule with me. But the interesting thing was, we've got the La- this was written to the Laodicean church. And the Laodicean church was a very good church. In fact, it was a rich church. The giving was great and, and they, they blessed a lot of people. In fact, I reckon they would have had great carpet. I reckon they would have had great car parks undercover everywhere. I reckon their songs would have been the latest and the best. I probably would have had a smoke machine. They're always on time perfect church but the problem is Jesus was on the outside of it can I come in if you let me in you can sit on my throne he was on the outside of it and I thought of that you know what I've lived my Christianity like that I've lived my Christianity in such a way that I actually don't need Jesus I can behave myself I can have emotional time in songs and I don't even need Jesus for that isn't that interesting the problem with that is Jesus actually says to this church I'd rather you be freezing cold or boiling hot than lukewarm as you are in fact I want to spit you out of my mouth this is beautiful nice loving Jesus I'm going to spit you out of my mouth and I started reading this I started looking at it and said God Are you giving us a key here to discovering who we really are? Because what he's saying to the church at Laodicea is, I want you to change this around, and this is how you change it. I stand at the door and knock. And if you let me in, we're going to eat together, and we're going to have meals together. There's a whole sermon in that. And then you get to rule with me on my throne until the end. It's your purpose. That's what God's asked you to do. Now, if you're anything like me, you don't usually feel like a ruler. You don't feel like you're conquering anything. But I don't know whether we're actually meant to feel that. I think we're actually called just to acknowledge who we are and to start walking as if we are who we are. How do we do it? Sometimes Christianity gets a bit dry. Sometimes you get a bit bored. Sometimes you look around and you realise, I'm even not even close to God. How can I ever rule? How could I do that? Do you know Paul actually found himself in the same position? So let's get our Bibles, turn to chapter uh, Romans chapter 7. Great little passage of scripture. Romans 6, 7 and 8 are golden pieces of theology. If you want to have a look at those, Romans 6, 7 and 8. We're going to go to Romans 7, verse 18 to 20. For Paul speaking. The great teacher, Paul, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, (laughs) that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do um, is what I keep on doing. Anyone relate to that? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, 
but sin that dwells in me. Right down the end, verse 24, he actually says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Everything I don't want to do, I do it. Everything I know I should be doing, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Wow, I can relate to that. Paul's at this point where he's going, what? There's got to be an answer. And there is. The beautiful thing about this passage of scripture, that's right at the end of Romans chapter 7. And there's a Romans chapter 8. Thank God for Romans chapter 8. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's the New King James Version. actually adds that in there because it's appropriate for the context. There is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's two ways of living. I dare say the Laodicean church, there's two ways of experiencing church. The Laodicean church were doing it without Christ. They weren't doing it in Christ. They were doing it in the flesh. And they were really good at it. Oh, my greatest fear is that we could be so good at doing church, we could do it without him. I don't want to be that church. But let's look at a Christian life. What about my life, my journey, my, my, my journey as a follower of Christ? Am I doing it in the flesh? Or am I doing it in the spirit? It's the same deal. Wouldn't it be terrible if you could live your Christian life and get to the end of it and realize you did it without Jesus? Which means you're not saved. Wow, I don't want to be that. I want to walk in the spirit and walk, be, be in Christ. And I want to learn how to do that. Let's go back to the Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden right at the very beginning. He created a garden. He said, Jesus said, eat whatever you want, but don't eat from that tree. It's a tree, and we're going to call it the knowledge of good and evil. We can actually call that the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, or bad and good, if we wanted to. He said, but you can go to this tree called the tree of life. And theologically, if you want to look at Revelation 22, Jesus is the tree of life. He said, eat from this tree. Do you know what? There's a lot of Christians trying to do their Christianity eating from the wrong tree. They're trying to eat out of what's right and what's wrong. Do you know Christianity is not about what's right and wrong. It's about life and death. It's about lost and found, not about what's good and bad. You know that, don't you? But we tend to live our Christianity in the wrong tree, and this is living in the flesh. We live our Christianity according to what's right and what's wrong. We know how to live, so we should live the right way. You can do that without Jesus. Right? The problem is, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die, said God. Just like the Laodicean church, we get spat out of his mouth. But if we eat from the tree of life, that's where we find life. 
That's where we find every. That's where we find actually who we are. Wow. Many Christians live here. In fact, every other religion is based out of the tree of what's right and what's wrong. It's based out of do this, but don't do that. Do this, but don't do that. It's fascinating. Um, have you ever been to Japan? Japan is one of the most amazing places. I love Japan. In fact, I love Tokyo. I've been to Tokyo. But what you'll notice when you get there is that everything's clean. Like, I'm talking clean. The car parks, the tyres are always squeaking because the floors and the car parks of the buildings are all shiny. And that's why they do a lot of drifting in those places. <laughs> if anyone graffitis, which is very rare, it is gone within 10 minutes. Someone will clean it. It's super clean there. Because it's based on a religion called Shintoism, or which comes out of Buddhism. Which means if you're clean on the outside, that means you must be clean on the inside. But that's not what Jesus taught. It's the total opposite to what Jesus... That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've got to look right. And it sets everything else right. But Jesus said, nah, if you're clean on the inside, it affects everything else. He said, you might be clean on the outside, but your inside's putrid. Maggoty is one of the words I think he uses, full of maggots. He said, you're just living death. But Christianity is about what happens on the inside, where life comes from. I think that's the key, the first key to really understanding of who you are. Some people here and you've struggled with what's right or wrong. That's not Christianity. It's life and death. You've struggled with sin and you've walked into sin and you've tried to, tried to get better at it and you've, you've gone against it with goodwill and, and putting your will toward it. That's the wrong tree. That's not the tree you're meant to go to. In fact, where that will lead you is down a legalistic life and that will kill you. Kill your spirituality. And Christianity at best will become a religion. Just a plain old religious act. But if you say, do you know what? I'm a sinner. I don't like the fact that I'm sitting like Paul. The things I don't want to do, I do. The key to it is I need to walk in the spirit, which is eating from the tree of life. Jesus, I'm going to come to you. Jesus, I'm going to be with you. Jesus, I've got this addiction. I've got this issue. I've got this anger problem. God, I'm going to come to you. And I'm just going to just spend time at your tree. I'm going to talk to you through your word. And I'm going to get your word to help me here. Do you know what I've found? The more I do that, the less temptation grabs hold of me. I could be resisting and doing what I can over here and trying to do the right thing. But really the answer is not even to even worry about that. But just come to the tree of life. Who is Jesus. Allowing Jesus. Because you realise... Christianity, he has paid the price for every one of your sins anyway. It's a foregone conclusion. He's paid the price. Why are you even worrying about that? Wow. You're very quiet this morning. A little amen might help the preacher a bit. I'm preaching better than you're listening. It's a truth. And we need to get this if we really want to go deep into Christ. God, use for you. You're never going to be good enough. My pastor used to say to me about the Ten Commandments. You don't break the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments break you. And it's true. Try and fulfill the Ten Commandments. You've already broken them, so it doesn't matter if you get them right from here on anyway. We've all broken them. But thank God we don't have to have that right. 
Because Jesus wiped the slate clean. And do you know what that wipe? It's a continual wipe. Just keeps wiping. The Bible actually says that he, sh- he throws your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He throws them as far as east is from the west. You know the interesting thing about that? East and west never meet. North and south do, but east and west don't. Can you get this? But we get so gripped up in this stuff. Oh, but Rick, you don't understand my life. I've got issues here. I've got issues there. Yeah, yeah. Join the club. I don't think he's waiting for perfection. Not in us. <laughs> I don't know if I've told you this, this before, but um, I was watching The X-Files many years ago. And I remember, someone mentioned it, and I remember watching the same, same episode. And Skulder and uh, Scully and Mulder. Mulder, they, they came upon a genie rolled up in a carpet. And it was the old token, you now have three wishes. And everyone loved that, right? Wouldn't that be cool? And, you know, Mulder, he's very woke. So his first request is, I just want world peace. Okay, it is wished upon you. Then everybody disappeared. He goes outside. Scully! Scully, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? If you really want world peace, that means you're going to have to get rid of everybody. If God wants perfection, he's got to get rid of us all. But here's it. He would rather have the incomplete, fallible you than to not have you at all. You understand? He's a father who loves his children and wants you to be with him forever. And he would rather have an incomplete you than to never have you at all. Get that in your head. Get that around your mind. That's why he sent this beautiful thing called grace with his son. Saying, do you know what? You deserve a spanking, but I'm going to give you a hug. Just multiply that about 10,000. That's the true gospel. And that's what Paul's saying here. You can live carnally minded if you want, in the flesh, but you're going to die. If you're trying to do this out of the wrong tree, you're going to die. But if you do it out of the right tree, the tree of life, Galatians 5.16... Um, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah, just walk in the spirit. Then it followed there by this beautiful passage called the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and a whole bunch more I can't remember. You see, we even turn that into an instruction list. Do you know what? I've got to show a lot more love, joy, and peace in my life. I better start working on that. Wrong tree. It's the wrong tree. It's the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. What Paul is saying here is if you go to the tree of life, the fruit of that will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And I know there's another one. Faithfulness. Thanks, Pastor. We... we, we, we We actually get to be like that apple tree going, come on, where's some more apples? Come on. Oh, good, I've got an apple. Have you ever seen an apple tree do that? No, not at all. They just eat the right stuff, sit under the sun, and allow the fruit just to produce, right? That's Christianity. And that's what Paul's saying. It's the first key. I better move on. Whoops. 
Maybe I should just stop it there and we'll just finish it for the week. And then I've got a three-parter. Verse 14 in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children or the sons of God. Whenever you see the word sons, it means children. That girl, got that, girls? Cool. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Wow. Just incidentally, you've heard me preach on this passage several times because it is my most favourite passage in the whole Bible. Those who walk according to the Spirit, they are the children of God. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Not only are we just free from sin, free from legalism, not only are we just justified, but we're now children of God. You've got to understand how important that is. We are not servants of God. And as Nicola pointed out to me this week, yes, Paul did write in there, I am Paul, servant of God. But he's more justifying the reason why he's writing the letter. I'm serving God right now. You are not a servant of God. You are not a servant of God. You are a child of God. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a prodigal son. Ironically, it's actually not about the son. The whole story is to show how God feels about you as the father. The story is this boy rebels from his father. Give me my inheritance. I just want to rebel. Goes and wastes his money. Finds himself feeding pigs. And that's not a real good place for a Jewish boy to end up. Feeding pigs. Totally defiled. And he realises I'm starving, the pig food looks really good to me right now. But my servants eat better than this. Back home, dad's servants. I know what? I'll make myself a servant. And he gets his whole plan together. He starts heading home and he's rehearsing, Dad, I'm so sorry, I'll be a servant. No, I'm not a son. Anyway, his dad sees him, runs to him, falls on his neck, the Bible says, kisses him and says, welcome home. This is a pig muck boy. Pig muck for a Jewish dad. I love you, son. Just want you back. Just want you back. So the son starts reciting his little pledge, you know. Dad, I'll be a servant. And you read it. He interrupts him and says, no. No, you will not be my servant. Bring the robe. Here, put it on, son. Here, take my ring, my credit card. It's all yours. Let's put some shoes on those feet because it means you've got a destiny, son. And let's kill the calf and let's celebrate that you are no longer dead. You're alive. You are no longer lost. You are found. He wants sons and daughters. He doesn't want servants. His whole plan at the beginning was not to fill the world with servants, but to fill it with his family. And we've got to get this in our heads, church. We've got to understand this. You are his child. High-ranking. You're not his servant. He's not waiting to beat you over the head. Says says, you no longer have a spirit of bondage again to fear. You don't have that, it says. You don't have the spirit of bondage again to fear. What that means is you've done something wrong and you're just waiting for him to correct you. You don't have that. You actually have a spirit of adoption where we, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba. I've always said this is a really cool line. It's more than just a 70s cool rock and roll band. Love the good old Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word. Why would a Greek 
Jew say an Aramaic word in a letter to a Roman church? Because it's the language Jesus spoke, Aramaic. And basically he's saying here, you call father the same as Jesus calls father. Daddy. Abba means daddy. It's not, oh, hi, one who just wants to kill me. No, 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 it's daddy. He kicked the door open and said, Dad, I'm home. That's the relationship we have with our father. He's not a distant judge. He's a loving, close daddy. Unfortunately, you can't just say it's just like your daddy because so many people have not had a great experience with their dads. But it is the experience God wanted you to have with your dad. So close. So that you can actually be one with him. That's what this is saying. And if children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is getting back to the throne you get to sit on. If you get this right. If you understand this. If you understand that we walk according to the spirit, not of flesh. You understand that you're his child. You're an heir of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. That's pretty cool. Do you understand you're a ruler? Do you know it actually says in 1 Corinthians 6.3, it actually says that Paul's saying, look, why are you arguing amongst each other? You're taking each other to court. What are you doing that for? He says this, don't you know that you will get to judge angels? Whoa. <laughs> You'll get to rule over angels. And we think angels are really cool. Can't wait to, maybe I have met them, I don't know. Can't wait to meet them, knowing that I've met them. But we are actually regarded much higher in God's thinking, than what angels are. We get to rule over them. It's the word of God. It's not just my idea. We we actually have that spirit of adoption, which actually says we actually are his children. We have the inheritance now. It is not something we get later. It's now. The word adoption there is adulthood adoption, which means you get it now. It's because we are his sons, co-heirs. He wants you to rule with him. Do you understand that? When you walk into your workplace, understand something. You rule the spiritual atmosphere. Do you understand that? When you walk into school or your institution in which you study, you actually get to rule the spiritual atmosphere there. You actually dictate what happens. Because you're his child. Image of God, you represent God. And you know what? The principalities and powers, Wayne, they know that. They know that. You are sons of God. Whoa, what a church would look like when 100% of them understands this one. Lift up your eyes and see who you are. You represent him as his child. Let's keep reading. I'd like to just plant on that for a bit. Maybe I will in the next couple of weeks. Revelations, oh, not Revelation. Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Thanks, Jesus. Yet in all these things, all the condemnation, all the persecution all the bad issues, all the struggles, yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's my thought on this. I think everyone would agree with this. That nothing can stop God from loving you. Well, I'm hoping. That's good. Makes sense. He's God. He is love. My question is this. Do you experience that? You might believe it, but do you experience that? Do you understand there is a God and there's nothing that can stop him from loving you? You see, when we really experience this, we've got no problems coming into his presence. We can't wait to come into his presence. and I know he's everywhere, but when we bring our whole sense and being into his presence. In fact, we would yearn to dwell there if we understood this. His love for you is so big and strong and mighty, you can't stop it. And when someone is experiencing this, it changes everything about your walk in Christianity. It changes everything. I forget who even told me this, but it changed my whole thinking. He said, Rick, don't you understand? A man who's intimate with God can't be intimidated by man. Wow. If you are intimate with God, you understand his love for you. You can't be intimidated by any bully. You can't be intimidated by any circumstance because you're made more than a conqueror. So maybe we need to scan our memories and think back to times when we've actually sat down when we actually should have stood up and realised, did I forget the love of God that's in me? Did I forget how much he loves me? I like to call him the hound dog of heaven. He tracks people down. He chases you and he will hound you because he loves you. Talking to someone the other day, an atheist, it's as if God's just chasing me. I said, absolutely. I've been praying to the hound dog. Almost acknowledge the presence of God. He will. He will. How about you? Do you experience this love? Because I think it's the key to ruling. You are called to rule. You are called to rule your circumstances. You are called to rule your families together. That's what you're called to do. So much so that people say, man, there's so much blessing on your life. What is that? There's someone here in your marriage right now, I was praying earlier before. Someone here in your marriage right now, and this is the word of the Lord to you. The tree is your answer. The tree of life. Don't worry about what he's doing. Don't worry about what she's doing. The tree is the answer. It's not about right and wrong. Right and wrong will surely kill you. It will surely kill you. Because who's right and who's wrong is inconsequential. It's life and death you're looking for. And if you would go to the tree of life and you would, how would you say, appeal to the tree of life, he will bring the peace you're looking for, he will bring the answers you're looking for, and he will bring the healing into your heart regardless of what happens. I was praying about that before. I don't know who that is. If you'd like to talk after, I'd love to talk. Because you've got too big a call on your life as a ruler in God's kingdom for you to be swimming and fighting that battle. Amen? Do you experience it? 
Do you experience his love? Do you understand you're his child? Behold, I stand at the door knocking, if the musos would come, thanks. Behold, I stand at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door, wow, if your heart is open to hearing my voice and you open the door within, I will come in and you and um, to you and feast with you and you will feast with me. And to the one who conquers, who gets this, who walks in this, I will give them the privilege of sitting with me on my throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That door, each of us have that door. And um, sometimes we hold it shut, (laughs) you know. There's actually a mechanism for opening and shutting that door. To hold it shut, it's easy. It's a little thing we call pride. It shuts the door right up, bang, because not even God can push open pride. It stops God from coming in. No, I've got it all together. I don't need this. I'm good. Pride. Yeah, I know that's sin. I can't tell anyone about it, man, because, you know, what would people think? Pride. It shuts the door. There's a door over your heart, which is the connection to God, right in there. And Jesus is knocking, saying, hey, I want to get this right with you. I want you to understand who you are as a ruler. And I want you getting, sit, getting, I want to get you sitting on that throne. But you know what? What would people think? Pride. Shuts the door. It's a filthy thing, pride. I've seen it demolish relationships. It's a terrible thing. Jesus actually said, the only reason Moses allowed divorce is because your hardness of heart or your pride. It's the only reason Moses allowed divorce. You know, it's because of pride. It's such a devastating thing. But the beautiful thing about that is there's a mechanism for opening it. Being humble. And you've heard me say this prayer several times and it's the greatest prayer you'll ever pray. This is it. You ready? I've got nothing. But you've got everything. And I've got you. And I reckon there's a whole bunch of people here this morning you need to pray that prayer. I've got nothing. Maybe you've got nothing left. You're in the right position then. I've got nothing, God. But I've got you. I'm at the tree of life. Come into the tree. And you've got everything. I just need you. And I guarantee you, that is where it opens your door. And he'll come in and feast with you and you with him. And to those who get this and walk in it to the end, they're the children of God who sit on the throne. I can't emphasize how much he wants you to rule and reign. We're not plebs. We're children of God. Can I pray for you? Everyone just across this place, just close your eyes and 
Holy Spirit is here right now. He's here. Holy Spirit, it's great having you here. I love it when you make your presence felt. Lord, for people here right now, there's, there's a bit of brokenness. Some broken hearts here, Lord. Lord, you're knocking on people's hearts. Can you just make that evident to people who need it right now? Could you just do what only you can do, and that is just knock and say, Hey, I'd like to come in. Can I? And I'll sit with you under the tree of life. And we'll have a meal together where you will be filled or your thirst will be quenched and we'll be united in a beautiful way. Would you open the heart? I've got nothing. But I've got you and you've got everything. That's the key. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I lift every person to you right now. Lord, I pray that everyone would lift up their eyes to see who they are. They are children of God who are loved by you, who walk in the Spirit. They walk in Christ. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just for privacy reasons, I really feel to ask people this morning who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. I talked about him, he's dealt with sin. It's only if you ask him to. If he's paid the price for your sin, it's only if you've asked him to. We've all sinned, but we've got to repent from that. We've got to turn away from that, and that's by asking Jesus Christ into our life and asking him to take away the sin and its punishment. The punishment's death. And Christians have actually asked him to take that punishment away so we no longer have the, the, the uh, punishment of eternal death. We have eternal life instead. And I'd like to pray for anyone in this room who would say, Rick, I would like to do that today. I would like to ask Jesus Christ into my life. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer, but I want to know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you at all, but I am going to pray for you. So if you're here and you'd say, Rick, could you include me in that prayer? Just lift your hand up. I'll see it and I'll ask you to put it back down again. Thanks, Ellie. Who else would say, yep? Thanks, mate. Thank you. Who else would say, yep, Rick? Would you include me in this prayer? I don't know whether Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. I need to make sure I'm going to give my life to him. That's what this prayer is about. Just lift your hand and I'll see it and I'll ask you to put it back down again. I want to know who I'm praying for. So important to me that I don't miss anyone. Right. Okay, we're going to say this prayer. I'd like everyone to say it with me, but those people lifted your hands, this is for you. Father God, I know I'm a sinner. Trying to do it my own way. By myself. But I know you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and to purchase my child belonging to God deal. (laughs) 
I want to be your child. And I want to be forgiven of all my sin. Come into my life, Jesus. Change me. Make me like new. Help me to understand that I'm your child. And that you love me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to do one more thing. We've got a bit of time. Good on you, Pastor. That's good. I'd like us all to stand. We're going to sing. Can we sing Saviour's Love? Is that all right?